0: And I believe that that's really why you're here. Christ died for us. History Makers. Hi, and welcome to History Makers. I'm Matt Prater. Today we're speaking with John Bradford. He's worked as a missionary, as a politician. He's worked in the media. He's done lots of great things over the years. We're going to hear a bit of his story today. Welcome to the program. How are you, John?
1: Yeah, very well, Matt. Yeah, good to talk to you again.
0: Now, Matt, you've also authored a book which is about uh, your life story. Let's hear a little bit about what it's about. Where, where were you born and raised?
1: Well, I was born in Sydney. Uh, I had a very, well, in the early post-war years, we lived up on the north uh, northern beaches of Sydney and then consequently up on the north shore of Sydney and then pretty much back on the northern beaches later. So uh, mostly Sydney, although we've been in Queensland now for almost 30 years.
0: And tell us about your faith journey. Were you raised in a religious household, or was there no, a conversion? No, not at all,
1: Matt. No, I wasn't. Um, my uh, my parents were good people, though. I think they were wonderful parents, as I look back on them. Neither of them is with us now. But, in fact, that I think tomorrow would have been my mother's 100th birthday, actually, yep. if she'd have been alive. Um, but, no, uh, they were good, and they sent us to Sunday school, which seemed to be the thing for good parents to do in those days, and they never went to church and, and until later in their lives. So it was really through Sunday school teaching and some of the teachers whose names I can still recall that I was introduced to uh, to my faith into in, and then off to a boys camp actually which is where I actually made a commitment uh, I guess when I was about 12 years old it was an Anglican camp and those camps are still running in Sydney actually uh, on the uh, on Port Hacking and some of your listeners will be quite familiar with the, uh, with the Church of England
0: camps there and then tell us about uh, your, your schooling you're, you're a high school captain I understand
1: yeah, I think you've been reading my book. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, yes, I went to—I had a, a wonderful experience at school, North Sydney Boys High School, one of the better schools in Sydney selective high school so hard to get into and yeah I ended up as a school captain I was rather surprised because I was very enthusiastic about my faith or well, not that I'm not enthusiastic now but I was very <laughs> enthusiastic about it in those early days and uh, you know it kind of meant that uh, I wasn't sort of necessarily one of the boys although I obviously was respected and did well at sport and was kind of about middle of the class academically but when the vote came in um, yeah I ended up a school captain and that was a wonderful privilege.
0: And what did you do after school? Did you go to university? Yeah, straight
1: to Sydney Uni and did economics. So I got an economics degree and a diploma in education and straight out of uni into the army. I was conscripted in 1960, well early on and I was allowed to finish my degree and then went into the army early in 1968, which seems probably before you were born. That's a long time ago.
0: (laughs) And conscripted to the Vietnam War, I've seen I've seen uh, footage of, of people being conscripted before. Is it, did you have to watch the TV where they they picked out the numbers?
1: I did. Well, I'm not sure you could look in. It wasn't like the lottery, I don't <laughs> think. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they picked out the, the birthday dates and uh, advised people that they'd been called up and you had to then comply with certain uh, laws about registering and they kept track of your movements you could you could finish a degree at the union if you were doing one and uh then finally as soon as all that was done they'd, they'd grab you and put you in the army
0: and what was it like fighting in Vietnam well
1: I was uh, I I was very fortunate I suppose again Matt I mean my book's called an abundant life uh, as you know but um because in many ways it has been that not not in term, in financial terms at all but because we've seemed to have been blessed every just about every step of the way but I went to officer training early in my in my military service and then finally posted to Vietnam to an administrative type job on, on the headquarters so I wasn't in the front line not that there was such a thing in Vietnam but I was very much involved in of course what we were doing up there but in a relatively safe situation but it was I had a lot of responsibility for a young lieutenant. I had uh, a lot of uh, things that were important, were part of the war effort, and um, I was expected to perform.
0: And then what about your career after Vietnam?
1: Well, I came back and went into a family business in Sydney. We had quite a big family retail business in Sydney. We had a number of hardware stores. So I came back, got out of the army and, uh, well, virtually overnight back from Vietnam, in, back into civilian Street, Sevilla Street. And back to the business and, uh, yeah, sort of took various roles in that. Went to live in America for a while after that, uh, courtesy of the, of the family who sent me there to sort of learn the retail trade. So I spent a, uh, more than a year working in a department store in San Francisco. That was in the early 70s. It was an interesting political time in America with uh, with Nixon's uh, demise coming at that time. So, yeah,
0: fortunate. And then tell us about your time as a missionary, uh, what stirred you to, uh, to go and do missions?
1: Well, the missionary time came quite a few years later because I, as you know, was involved in local government, then subsequently elected to the national parliament, uh, where I was between 1990 and the end of 1998. So it was really after I got out of the parliament, the end of 98 that we went off as missionaries, initially with the Bible Society in Mongolia. Uh, we took our three young children, relatively young children, they were 12, uh, no, they were 14, 12 and 6 when we left the country to go and work in Mongolia with the Bible Society. Subsequently then in the United States with Youth with a Mission, YWAM, the Mercy Ship's part of YWAM, and after that to the United Kingdom with YWAM. And we've been a number of places since. So, since I got out of the, uh, finished my time in the Parliament, we've been basically doing missionary work of some sort.
0: And what was easier, being a politician or a missionary?
1: Uh, well, there's some common elements, I suppose, <laughs> if you think about it. Uh, but look, uh, they both had their challenges. I mean, my wife, Judy, uh, whom I've been married to for over 30 years, uh, was always terrific uh, politicians Wife, she took care of particularly our younger kids as they grew up because i was away for about 30 weeks of the year for those 10 years often in canberra often overseas and then of course when we were living overseas with our children most times um most of the way um judy picked up the you know picked up the tab so to speak for uh setting up house and dealing with lots of things that uh, good wives do
0: And tell us about your time as a politician. Who were you serving under? Who was the current Prime Minister at the time?
1: Well, I I was elected uh, when uh, Bob Hawke was Prime Minister. Then I was there for his demise at the hands of Paul Keating. And then I was there for uh, Keating's demise at the hands of John Howard. So I served under three Prime Ministers. Uh, all interesting characters, I'd have to say, and got to know each of them pretty well. well I, I knew John Howard well from my New South Wales days in the Liberal Party, but, uh, yeah, got to see, uh, Bob Hawke and Paul Keating at very close, uh, very close up and got to know them, uh, well, not well, but saw them in action. Of course, they were terrific years, really, and then when John Howard was elected at the end, in 96, Um, I stayed on for a first term in government. So I had two terms in opposition and one in government.
0: I heard a good quote from John Howard recently. He said that he learnt early on in his political career that uh, politics is more about an exchange of ideas than a popularity battle. What would you think about that?
1: Well, certainly, a lot of exchanging of ideas going on, uh, but you know, politicians are concerned about their popularity, and they may want want to downplay that. And, and I hear my, my friend Tony Abbott say from time to time, "Well, it's not a popularity contest, but but ultimately, it is." Um, but uh, look, John Howard was a very astute politician. I guess he managed to, to be popular because he uh, because he did the right thing most of the time. And good politics generally leads to uh, if you make the right decisions, then you'll tend to be popular. But you'll you'll never be popular with everybody. I mean, I learned very early on in my political career. Although here on the Gold Coast, I had a essentially a very safe Liberal seat, but I still realised that forty percent of people in my electorate hadn't voted for me. Um, so, you know, you can't, you can't keep everybody happy all the time. And the only ones I really ever believed were the ones that said that told me they didn't vote for me.
0: Now, you know I'm very passionate about praying for our political leaders. Uh, what kind of – how important is it that we pray for our leaders? And, and, and tell us a bit about how your faith played out as a politician.
1: Well, very long story, Matt, really. I mean, certainly, yes, I think people should be praying for our leaders. That's what we're, that's what we're told to do, to pray for our leaders and for our nation. I think some people, not, not, not as many as should, but some people take that challenge very seriously and do pray uh, for our national, state and local leaders. Um, look, I uh, I appreciate it. My time in the Parliament was a, was a fantastic opportunity for me. I mean, I mean, I went there knowing that God had put me there. I took advantage of the fact that uh, the, 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 I was aware of that, so I was very active in the Parliamentary Christian Fellowship, and uh, and I had very strong supporters uh, here on the Gold Coast in particular, not only in the Liberal Party but amongst the church leaders. So. Uh, I had a dream run. I, I I would have been promoted further if I'd stayed on. I got to be a whip at one stage... Uh, Actually, in a short time, Alex Downer was leader of the opposition, but uh, I didn't really make it too much further than that. I talked to John Howard about it at the time and eventually got a little tired of the Liberal Party for lots of reasons and and ran for the Senate at the 98 election under the Christian Democratic Party banner. And now I've moved on to take a bit of a role with Family First. I helped our local candidate here at the last state election. I'll probably help them in the federal election.
0: You know, I've had a few people say to me, oh, you know, it's... It's, um, it's a waste of time to uh, vote for any of those minor parties because uh, if you've got conservative values, you should stick with the Liberals and the Nationals. What would you say to those?
1: I think that's a misconception up to a point. I know why people think that, if they don't fully understand the voting system. But look, a, it, now historically a quarter of people are, are not voting for a major party. They're voting for independents and minor parties. So. And we can see uh, in the Senate for an hour in the upper house and in the Australian Parliament, the Senate, just how influential independents can be. And they can, of course, be a, a considerable nuisance too. But I mean, uh, I think uh, people, if they understand the system, know that they can use their vote to, to vote first for a minor party. And in, in this case, I'd be suggesting family first and then allocate preferences accordingly. So the vote, in, 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 no matter which way you look at it, is not wasted. And in fact, it may well be, they may be successful in getting someone elected to the upper house in particular. It's much more difficult in the lower house, but in the upper house uh, to get someone elected. And Family First now, a very good senator from South Australia is doing a good job, and I think they've got a very good chance of getting somebody elected to the Senate from, uh, from Queensland at the next uh, federal election.
0: Well, mate, it's been inspirational to hear about your political uh, beliefs and the influence you've had uh, over your years uh, in public office Uh, Now that you're um, working behind the scenes uh, and you're obviously very passionate about uh, the gospel, you know, you've you've taken the gospel to the nations as a missionary. Uh, You know, one, one thing I always like to ask our guests before we wrap up is if there are people listening that have never heard the gospel, would you share with our listeners what is the gospel and how do people respond to it?
1: I'd love to, Matt. I mean, it's it's not it's not rocket science. Is it? we we accept uh, it, 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 that uh, that Jesus died for our sins? and we ask him to come in and uh, take into our hearts and take over our lives and we we commit at that point in time to serving him so it's it's quite a simple it's quite a simple prayer it doesn't have to be complicated but uh there will be people listening hopefully it might be moved to take that wonderful step and it's a life-changing step it doesn't matter whether you're 16 or 60 when you take that step uh, it will be a life-changing step and so i encourage people if they haven't done it to, to do it, then tell someone about it, go see a pastor or somebody that they can rely on to tell, tell them what they've done and then, and then get on with living the exciting Christian life. There's nothing dull about it, as you and I know. Uh, it's an exciting life it, and it's a, it's a great life and it, of course it has a wonderful ending.
0: And mate, as a very busy man uh, in all the jobs you've done over the years... Tell us how important your daily devotions have been. Have you had a plan that you've followed to yeah, read the Scriptures? What do? You I do? have.
1: I've been Ever since I became a Christian, Matt, I was saying to someone the other day, I've I've had, I've had a daily quiet time. Now, usually it's been in the morning, but I've, it's become such, an, such a habit now ha- that I just can't get on with my day without getting up before everybody else and having a, literally a quiet time. But in recent years, I've been, I've been using Word for Today. So <laughs> here's a plug for UCB. But not only the devotionals, which, which often are very good, but I've tried to read the slabs of scripture and some of them are significant uh, uh, to, to sort of set aside the time each day. So I, I, comm- I recommend Word for Today, but I think not just reading the devotional. You've got to get into the Scripture, get into God's Word. So read those heavy slabs. We started Two Kings this morning. We just finished Revelation, and there's always a gospel and there's a psalm there. So it's, uh, that's a good discipline, and that's what I do every morning.
0: Mate, I'm with you 100%. I actually do a, a life journaling uh, plan where we read through five chapters a day. Uh, yeah. Often there's Old Testament, uh, often there's a psalm, and then there's always a New Testament uh, yeah. chapter as well. And then I try and write down my thoughts and a prayer and an application, and a, and ask how will I be different today because of what I've read. Yeah, and, uh,
1: you, know, you know, I, I do a little journaling. I'm not as not as not into that quite so much, but I do have a little journal, and I over the years I've got you know I've made some notes, and I look back on them every now and then. Yep, that's a good
0: way to be. And they say that uh, the one thing that determines whether a Christian will grow or not, is if they're daily into the Word of God, uh, yep. not just reading it but studying it and praying through it. Uh, they say that is something that will uh, guarantee growth in a Christian as opposed to uh, you know not getting into the Word of God regularly. And it's and it's, the study actually says that you've got to read the Scriptures more often than not each week. So if it's over yep. four times a week, you'll grow. If it's less than four times a week, you won't as a Christian. So uh, very, very powerful research, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it is. And, you know, I think the most important thing people re- need to realize is that God, that God speaks to us predominantly through His Word. Mm. And so if you're not reading His Word, then <laughs> probably He's not speaking to you, or well, He may not be. You know, I mean, that's, that's that's how God speaks to us is through His Word. So, yeah, people got to be be disciplined to do that.
0: Good on you, John. Well, I know that uh, your book is now available at Coorong, also available at archhousepress.com. Uh, the book is called An Abundant Life with John Bradford. John, I your you're a history maker. Thanks for joining us.
1: Good on you. I appreciate your time, Matt. God bless you and your listeners.
0: Thanks for joining us on History Makers. If you'd like to listen to this interview again, just go to historymakers.tv. There you'll find links to Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to our iTunes podcast or check out our YouTube clips. And you can find out about History Makers TV. We are a faith-based ministry and we appreciate every donation.